Hello and welcome to the Low Tech Podcast. I'm Scott Johnson from the Low Technology Institute, your host for podcast number one on September 23rd, 2016, coming to you out of the Central Library in St. Louis, Missouri. Thanks for joining us. Today's main topic is, well, this podcast. Uh, we'll be introducing the Low Technology Institute and what we're all about. We'll also introduce our regular weekly features, including a news roundup, research updates, and our DIY feature, which we'll be kicking off with apple cider fermentation. Well, let's get right to today's main topic, which is introducing the Low Tech Institute. Uh, but before we do that, maybe we should talk about what we mean by low tech. Uh, and we can contrast that with what we think of as high tech, which is enabled really by our reliance on fossil fuels. In short, the vast amount of stored energy that we expend on industrial agriculture, modern transportation, and manufacturing has allowed for the greatest leap forward in scientific and technological progress in human history. The problem, though, is that we're not planning for a post-fossil fuel world in any serious way. Maybe we should use our remaining fossil fuels to build a world infrastructure that functions without fossil fuels. But I haven't heard anybody in a position of power proposing this idea, much less taking any steps in that direction. We have to conclude that we'll run out of fossil fuels at some point, and since we haven't planned for this to happen, will flounder, casting around for solutions to everyday problems related to food, water, shelter, security, and other basics. While high-tech solutions work in a fossil-fueled world, they're not designed for what comes next. On the other hand, most low technology predates or sidesteps industrial solutions and will be able to persist in a post-fossil fuel world. An apocryphal story from the height of the Cold War illustrates the difference between high and low tech. Rumor said that NASA spent millions developing a pen to write in space, while the thrifty Soviet Union's cosmonauts just used pencils. This account has the ring of truth because NASA did spend $128.98 per mechanical pencil in 1965, which is nearly $1,000 in today's money. This caused outcry when it became public, but the truth is, the space pen was developed by a private company independent of NASA and sold to both the U.S. and Soviet space agencies for $2.39 per pen. Uh, you can see a whole article about this in uh, Scientific American linked on our blog post. Although the pen versus pencil story is false, it gives a sense of the difference between high and low tech solutions. Today, scientists and engineers are asking what it's possible to do instead of asking what they should be doing. At a time when many people struggle to obtain necessities, we see myriad creature comforts that are often over-designed in order to sell new versions of the same item each year. See smartphones, vehicles, clothing, gadgets, etc., which every year they have some new feature that really isn't a huge improvement on last year's, but nevertheless generates a whole bunch of new sales and waste. As the age of abundant energy draws to a close, we need to be thinking of long-term solutions instead of disposable ones. The Low Technology Institute's mission is to identify, research, and adapt low technology that will enable us to live in a stable state with our surroundings. Stable state is how we define the nebulous word sustainability, because organisms that live in a stable relationship with their environment are inherently sustainable. A community living in a stable state draws as much from its resources as can be replenished each year. They do not produce or put things into their environment that would cause other systems to degrade. Uh, to see an illustrated version of this stable state, check out Ernest Kallenbach's Ecotopia and Ecotopia Emerging. A stable state does not imply stagnation. As the world around us changes, so too must our relationship with that world. 
I'd say it's currently the dominant economic and political philosophy on this planet to ignore a changing world and attempt to maintain the status quo. Low-tech champions adaptive and flexible solutions based on a derivation of Occam's razor. The simplest means are the most preferable ones. And I can hear you philosophy majors out there screaming, that's not what Occam's razor says. Occam's razor is really a tool for deciding which hypothesis to test first. Uh, among competing hypotheses, choose the simplest to test first because it's often the easiest to test and you can find out very quickly whether or not it's going to be the selected hypothesis. Also, Occam's razor is not really a truism because there are infinite solutions to every problem and we'll never have time to test them all so we can never be sure that the simplest is the best or any answer is the best because we can't test all the universe of possible answers. Perhaps you're a person who prefers concrete examples. Low-tech includes any pre-industrial technology such as gardening, cooking, working with animals, or building out of natural materials. This is especially true when done using techniques that predate the Industrial Revolution and tools that can be handmade and are long-lasting. The technology developed at the margins of industrial society today are also relevant. In a world after the decline of fossil fuels, we too will be living at the chronological margins of an industrial world. Observing which technologies are first adopted by these societies might clue us into the importance of preserving or adapting existing technologies for a low-tech future. In my experience, these are usually communications technologies. Finally, ideological purity is a problem for organizations with extreme positions, and we realize that envisioning a post-fossil fuel world and championing the technology necessary to survive in this new world are a little out there. Change is gradual, and the adoption of low-tech in your daily life should be too. It's too easy to make harsh judgments on how others choose to live. But as long as we're moving in the same direction, that is, a livable world for humans and other organisms, we should encourage each other's progress instead of focusing on faults. Now that we've started to outline what low-tech is, let's actually talk about the Institute itself, which right now exists only online. Uh, we're hoping to have a brick-and-mortar location in the near future, but for now, we're an online-based institute. Um, the goal of the Low Tech Institute is to bring non-industrial subsistence and other technology to overdeveloped societies. We exist at the nexus of ancient ethnographic and modern subsistence technology. We aim to, one, identify ancient and contemporary non-industrial technologies for appropriate use in modern, small-scale, self-sustaining infrastructure. Two, we want to create do-it-yourself, resource-light solutions to sustainability problems. Three, we want to provide our findings to the public for free use. Four, we want to create platforms to share information related to sustainability, especially solutions derived from ancient or ethnographic sources. If we had to sum up our ethos uh, in a single sentence, it would be something along the lines of, uh, we prize simple solutions over complex ones and eschew needless complications. Or that is, simple is better than complex, and complex is better than complication. Now you can find the institute on its website, which again is lowtechinstitute.wordpress.com. There you'll find links to everything else I'm going to introduce you to uh, here at the institute. One thing we are going to be putting out soon is the Bulletin of the Low Technology Institute. And the bulletin is a hopefully quarterly and then monthly publication dedicated to a different topic in each issue. 
The goal of the bulletin is to give readers a theoretical and practical understanding of a particular non-industrial technology. Each issue will contain instructions for do-it-yourself projects and the solutions for common problems encountered. Uh, examples of topics the bulletin might cover include um, mushroom cultivation, plant fertilizers, irrigation systems, aquaponics, alcohol fermentation, cheese making, greenhouse construction, energy conservation, wood joinery, thatch, uh, tree pruning, capturing honeybee swarms, really I mean, any non-industrial technical skill would be considered fair game for the bulletin. If you have an idea or you'd like to co-author or submit a uh, idea for the bulletin, please get in touch with us, uh, lowtechinstitute at gmail.com uh, or contact us through our website. Also, we're looking for people to beta test instructions for the DIY components of the bulletin. You'd get the instructions emailed to you ahead of time. You'd get to try them out and give us feedback on what worked for you and what sorts of things would be better described in a different way. We'll also be putting out the Low Technology Journal, which is an academic quarterly with articles related to non-industrial technology. The majority of the articles will focus on subsistence, that is, growing, harvesting, preserving, and consuming food. But submissions for discussing other types of technology are welcome, uh, and maybe things like construction, land use, animal husbandry, uh, energy generation use, handicrafts, really any non-industrial technology. Uh, all submissions are asked to include a discussion of how their technology may be adapted to a post-fossil fuel society. We'll also have the authors of these articles write a jargon-free, public-friendly blog entry that gives you a summary of their findings. And uh, I hope to interview some of the authors as well on our podcast. If you have an idea or want to submit an article, um, send us an email. Again, Institute at gmail.com or contact us through the website. We also plan to put out a podcast, which you've obviously already found, uh, where we will do a rundown of low-tech news, uh, have a DIY feature, uh, highlight some of the things from our blog, as well as uh, in the future have interviews and discussions of specific topics for each episode. The blog is already up and running. We're trying to put out a post a day. Uh, sometimes they're short essays, other times they're news items. Um, Friday is generally our news roundup post, so check that out on our website. It's lowtechinstitute.wordpress.com. In the future, when we have a brick-and-mortar location, we plan to step up our actual hands-on research when we have the facilities. We'd love to run weekend workshops. Maybe one weekend we learn how to bake bricks. The next weekend we learn how to build a wood-fire oven and maybe the next weekend we learn how to make bread in that oven. But everything should be hands-on, sustainable, uh, non-industrial technology-focused workshops. Uh, we'd love to get together a speaker series to have uh, great minds who are thinking about this topic come and tell us what, the, what they're working on right now, as well as host events. On to the news roundup. Although we follow environmental, political, and other news, we'll try and curate low-tech news and solutions on our website. Each Friday, our blog will be a roundup of the week's stories, and we'll try to feature a story or two here on the podcast. So let's take a look at this weekend low-tech news. Rebuilding in Nepal is underway, and we have two stories about how earthbag buildings are being used to create strong new housing for folks affected by the 2015 earthquake. Earthbags are essentially engineered sandbags that can be used to build durable structures with a minimum of materials. B 
because most of the building material can be dug nearby, it saves on transportation costs. The technology grew out of bunker construction, so the buildings are earthquake-proof. Another story comes to us from NPR, where they profiled the use of trap plants and poultry to keep insect loads down in a low-tech way. In short, trap plants are sacrificial varieties that attract pests away from the primary crops. As the bug load grows, chickens or ducks can be let loose to clean them up. Those are some of the stories we're following in Low-Tech News. To see links to the stories we discussed and more, uh, visit the Low-Tech website, lowtech, that's all one word, .wordpress.com, or by following the link in our podcast profile. And now we'll move on to our DIY feature, which this week is making apple cider. All instructions for this will be available on Monday's blog post. Cider actually used to be the most popular drink in America before Prohibition. Uh, since then, beer has kind of taken over. Uh, cider ferments when yeast eats sugar in the apple juice and excretes carbon dioxide and alcohol. And so we're basically encouraging the growth of a bacteria that we see as beneficial and trying to keep out those bacteria that are uh, going to spoil it for us. So the ingredients can be got at a grocery store and your local homebrew store. Uh, if you don't have a homebrew store in your area, you might have to go online, uh, but you know, patron those local stores if you can. So you'll need a one-gallon glass bottle. Sometimes you can get it with apple juice in it. I know Whole Foods sells a glass bottle uh, that's a gallon with apple juice already in it. It's not an endorsement of uh, Whole Foods. I just know that they happen to have that bottle. Um, you'll need an airlock and a one-hole stopper. Um, basically, this is a one-hole stopper that gets a plastic doohickey um, put into it that it gets filled with water. This allows the CO2 to escape when it's fermenting, but it doesn't allow in outside bacteria. Uh, one optional thing you can get is potassium metabisulfate, which is uh, used for sterilizing the equipment. We need to keep everything really clean in order to avoid the contamination of unwanted bacteria. You can use boiling water, but this potassium metabisulfate is a, a big help. Uh, if you're going to be doing this very often, you might want to invest in an auto siphon. At the end of the fermentation process, there's yeast left over on the bottom of the uh, fermenting jar. And this auto siphon is basically two uh, plastic tubes that help create a siphon to pull off the good apple cider and leave the yeast at the bottom because that yeast is really unpalatable. You'll need for each gallon, you'll need four wine bottle sized uh, or pint sized flip top bottles. Uh, you can see a picture of these on the website. Uh, you'll also need a funnel and measuring cups and spoons. Uh, finally, you'll also need uh, the actual ingredients which include a gallon of apple juice with no preservatives. Uh, except for citric acid, most apple juices will have citric acid to avoid browning. Uh, you might want a non-digestible sweetener like Truvia. Uh, this will add a little sweetness to the final product, but the yeast won't be able to digest it, so they leave it alone. Finally, you'll need yeast. Uh, you can't just use bread yeast. You need to get either dry ale or champagne yeast. I used um, Cephal's uh, US-05 dry ale yeast. But you can also use champagne yeast if you go to the brew store. Ask the person behind the counter. They'll be able to help you pick out a yeast if you're in doubt. Once you have your ingredients gathered, uh, you'll want to boil a quart of water and mix a half a teaspoon of potassium metabisulfate in a cup of that boiled water. Wash all the utensils, bottles, and materials in sterilizer 
and then rinse them using the boiled water once it's cooled off a little bit. Uh, then I invert them and let them air dry. Then what you want to do is drop one scant teaspoon of yeast into the gallon bottle and then you can pour in one gallon of juice minus a cup. Put the lid on the bottle and mix. Then you'll want to insert the one hole stopper and then the airlock into the stopper. Fill the airlock with now cool boiled water. Uh, then, then you'll set the jar in a cool space where it won't be bothered for a month. After a few days, be sure the bubbles are coming to the surface. If not, pitch in another scant teaspoon of yeast. This is really rare, and I know most home brewers will say never ever do this, but I've done it before, it works out fine. Uh, but usually you don't have to do that. Check the jar each week, making sure the airlock is still topped up with water. Once the bubbling is stopped, and usually that's about less than a month for me, uh, clean the bottles, the small bottles, the pint or the wine bottles, with the same method as above. Now, if you're going to be doing another batch right away, uh, you can just clean everything and you can do this all at once. So you basically be starting instructions um, back at the beginning for the next batch at this point. Uh, anyway, you can use all the same boiled sterilization water, water etc. Anyway, um, add two ounces of apple juice to each pint bottle or four ounces to each wine bottle. Uh, this is going to add sugar that the yeast can eat and create carbonation. It's called back carbonation. For sweetness, I add a half a teaspoon of Truvia to each pint bottle or one teaspoon of Truvia to each wine bottle. This can vary by taste. Sometimes I don't add any, but it's a much more uh, acquired kind of strong taste if you don't have any sweetener in it. The yeast can't digest the Truvia, so they leave it and it's still a little sweet. You can also use Splenda and other artificial sweeteners or avoid them entirely. It's up to you. Uh, use the auto siphon to empty the glass jar. Um, be really careful not to dislodge or stir up the yeast that settled on the bottom. You can do this into a sterile container with a spout, which is what I recommend, because then you can pour it directly into the bottles using a funnel, or you can try and siphon it right into the bottles. I find this extremely difficult to do. Close the bottles, let them sit for at least a month. You can pop a top occasionally to see if they're carbonated once they've uh, become carbonated and they're not cloudy. Uh, let them sit a little longer, then you can chill them and enjoy. Uh, also, take notes. Take notes on the ingredients you use, the amounts you use, the time it takes. The more notes you take, the easier it will be for you to replicate a batch that you really like. Um, the few times that I've done it without taking notes, I really kicked myself because it came out really good and I haven't been able to replicate that, so it was really frustrating. Anyway, you can see these instructions on our website. Uh, there will be the blog post on Monday. And now let's get to our last feature, research updates. We'll do a brief recap of the research we have going around the Institute each week. Right now we've been really busy getting everything together to launch our new website and podcast, so we've had to kind of scale back on our usual weekly activities. This week we did check out the beehive. Bees are looking really strong going into winter. We're going to be doing experiments next year. We're kind of toying with the idea of recreating ancient Egyptian honeybee management practices and seeing how that works today. We have an aquaponics system that is just starting to go. We're doing a proof of concept for our aquaponics, and I'll hope to be updating you on that in the near future. Finally, uh, we're writing a bulletin on irrigation systems. That will be the, the first bulletin that we put out, and then we hope to follow it with some new ones after that. Well, 
that's it for this week's Low Tech Podcast. The Low Tech Podcast is put out by the Low Technology Institute. At the moment, the show is hosted, edited, and distributed by me, Scott Johnson. This episode was recorded at St. Louis Public Library's Creative Experience Recording Room. Thanks, guys. Our entry music was from Factory Time off the album Songs from an Unmade World 2 by Visigur. That song and this podcast are under the Creative Commons Attribution and Sharealike License, meaning you're free to use and share them as long as you give us credit. I'd be happy to have your feedback, which you can leave me at SoundCloud slash LowTechPodcast. That's all one word. You can find out more information about the Institute at LowTechInstitute, again, all one word, .wordpress.com. You can also reach me directly at LowTechInstitute at gmail.com. Thanks, and take care. Hello and welcome to the Low Tech Podcast. I'm Scott Johnson from the Low Technology Institute, your host for podcast number one on September 23rd, 1926. Well, that's the wrong year. <laughs>